Welcome to the 31st episode of the Game 4 podcast. In this episode, still recording from home, we'll be talking about tabletop indie games and how to get into them. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. And we're part of the Game 4 podcast. This podcast is all about building a community within tabletop gaming, uh, whether it be board gaming, uh, collectible card games, role-playing games, miniature games. And uh, we want to teach you about gaming and uh, help you get involved with the hobby because it's a great hobby to have. Um, and let's see, what have we been doing since uh, our last episode? We do these episodes every two weeks if you're new. Um, and, uh, you know, you, we get things done in between episodes. What have you been doing, Matt? Uh, actually, I've got a lot of hobbying going on. Uh, Baseball has wound down and uh, projects have been kind of been minimal. So uh, I've been able to do a lot of assembly, uh, putting together a lot of uh, uh, miniatures. Uh, I got my ball tanks from the uh, Gaddis uh, Gaming um, Kickstarter? Uh, Kickstarter. That was so fast. Uh, like the Kickstarter got yeah. done, we had our we had our stuff like in a month. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I was kind of like he told me like, well, it was going to ship really fast, but I still didn't like when the box showed up. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, especially because there was some stuff that got added on last minute, so I thought for sure that was going to delay. But nope, that was that was impressively fast. So yeah, I yeah, even got easily, one assembled easily the, Probably the fastest Kickstarter I've ever been a part of. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got some of that done, uh, some tanks and stuff like that. Um, also, uh, made my, made my way into the, uh, game shop on Saturday, uh, for a free RPG day. And also, uh, it was also 40 K release day. So that was, uh, kind of the yeah, perfect yeah. storm of, of busyness. <laughs> yeah, no, between, between, uh, and I was thinking about when we were talking with Steve Ellis, uh, on the podcast last episode about um, free RPG day. And he was like, oh, it's July 25th. I'm like, why do I know that date? Why do I know that date? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the date that the new stuff for uh, the start of ninth edition uh, Warhammer 40,000 comes out. So, yeah, I bet it was busy at the store. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and then I also uh, I was also able to get uh, there was a, there's a really good Pathfinder Humble Bundle. I don't know if it's still going on. If it is, it's in the last few days, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically got like every single pathfinder like books and modules and a bunch of other supplements and even the the actual physical copy of the book for like i think $30 so they're going to actually so, mail you the book yeah i had to pay wow. i think like $8 shipping and handling or something but yeah like that was i mean the book alone was made it was you know cheaper than i was expecting so yeah 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 so uh That's yeah very a lot, cool. Yeah, between that and uh, some of the uh, stuff I found in the uh, free RPG day uh, uh, handouts and stuff, I've got a lot of uh, one-offs and some and some stuff coming along. So mm-hmm, excited mm-hmm. about that! No, and then cool. uh, after watching your Twitch stream or while watching your Twitch stream last night, uh, I finally got back into painting. I haven't painted. Ooh, it's been a few months since uh, I had torn everything kind of apart and put stuff away for. Uh, renovations in the man cave uh mm-hmm. so yeah got my finally got to the back and got uh my um uh reaper owlbear uh painted up so oh cool yeah yeah was it a reaper yeah, it one nice or to... is it the uh the um whiz kids one no it's a reaper one so i had, oh. I had primed it before and like a the last time I did like a large batch of anything that wasn't primed, um, mm-hmm. but it was just sitting there and I'm like, Oh, it had like a little bit done. I think I started painting it a little bit when I was teaching my uh, two youngest kids uh, to paint, but because yeah. I was mainly helping them out, I didn't make much progress. So yeah, I was able to uh, get that painted pretty quickly last night. Uh, nice. You know, at least tabletop ready. So, well, and they're, I mean, like if it, you know, if it's like the model that I'm thinking of generally, there's a lot of um, like feathers. Anytime there's a creature with a bunch of feathers or fur, you can do a bunch of dry brushing and that helps you speed things along and, and just cover area. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I was using the contrast, which I think are perfect for D and D minis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Citadel was, contrast paints are good for that stuff too. Yeah. There so. was a lot of uh, fur being painted. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 With the so, owlbear, uh, is it fur or feathers? Ah, uh, there's both. Oh, all right. So well, it's kind yeah. of like there's feathers sneaking out from underneath the fur. That makes but, sense, uh, I guess. I kept them mostly the same. Uh, some off a little bit, but 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I might go back and detail it a little bit more, but uh, you know, it's at least good enough to put out on the table now. So yeah, that's always kind of a later step. You know, when you when you've got a creature like that, you go back and detail like after. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, and I I don't think there'll be a table anytime soon. So yeah, yeah, that's I'm a good point. A, I'm not in a huge rush. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, actually, once, hopefully once we come out of all of this, a bunch of us are going to just have a lot of finished miniatures, you know? I know yeah. I will. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like Christmas uh, morning. Yeah, just about. Uh, yeah, no, I've been uh, keeping busy. I've been, um, I've started, as I've mentioned in the past, a couple episodes, I've been streaming more on Twitch. And uh, this past weekend, I streamed on Friday and Saturday uh, for San Diego Comic-Con at home. And I worked with the folks with uh, from Board Game Geek on that. I've been kind of working with them, and they've been doing content for different conventions. Um, San Diego Comic Con at home was one of them, and then this upcoming Friday and Saturday, I'm also streaming again and teaching people how to paint some kind of board game miniatures. And I'm doing it, it's going to be um, for Gen Con online. So nice. um, yeah, that'll be on Are, Friday and it, Saturday. You're on the official Twitch or like you do it on your Twitch and they cross stream it or how does that work? So it's gen- like, well, at least with San Diego Comic-Con, I was doing it on my Twitch and then uh, Board Game Geek has a, uh, I think it's boardgamegeek.com slash live that they just have basically like a, a window where they then embed the content and then that gets referenced. So people who are at San Diego Comic-Con going through, or, you know, obviously they're not at it, but they're at the website. They get to go mm-hmm. through and look at what's going on and then they follow links. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I just know that a lot more people show up than usual uh, when I do those. So I know people are coming from somewhere. So um, nice. yeah, I don't know this upcoming week. I don't know. I might be actually having to stream directly to a different account rather than mine, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm still kind of up in the air on that. And then, or is that, I don't know, there's a couple other shows possibly coming up this year as well that working with the folks at um, board game geek. And I might be doing some of those as well. And maybe one of those is where I have to stream differently. So like everybody kind of does yeah. it a bit differently, but um, it's sure. basically, yeah, one me. Is, I think I'm guessing there's a lot of figuring out still people are trying to oh, yeah, see absolutely. what works best. So still scrambling in a lot of different ways, but yeah, this, mm-hmm. this past weekend I painted, uh, the four models from the new uh, Gloomhaven uh, Jaws of the Lion set. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea behind these things where I'm working with the folks from Board Game Geek is basically kind of trying to teach board gamers who are interested in painting their miniatures but don't know if they can do it. I'm, I'm trying to show them, yeah, you can, and here's some simple techniques, and this is the kind of you know, right. look, like look 10 you can years get. Ago, yeah, 10 years ago, board gamers were pretty much it was meeples or nothing. Right. And now, I mean, just about every board game is going to come with a bunch of different miniatures. And um, so, yeah, um, I mean, like this, uh, the um, Gloomhaven box, that that Jaws of the Lion, it only came with four miniatures. There's only four miniatures in there. So I kind of got to spend a little bit more time uh, sort of working on them and things like that. But I didn't go crazy. Um, And honestly, sometimes sometimes the models that are in, in board games are not super great you know, like detail. So it's sort of harder to get in there and get real fancy with the paint sure. because there's kind of nothing to work off of a little bit, but these models weren't too bad. A couple of them were better than others. And um, so, yeah, it was just basically kind of teaching people some quick techniques and things like that and, and going through on Friday and Saturday and painting them those, those models up. Um, and I'll be doing, like I said, I'll be doing Gen Con this upcoming weekend. I think it'll start nine in the morning on Central time uh on both friday and saturday and i'm going to be painting um there's four models from an expansion to the game wildlands by osprey oh sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and those um, are great models at least the originals were well the ones because you've seen these you've seen these they came in that extra small box there was the original box and then there was that one and it was called the unquiet dead and there was yeah, like a skeleton yeah, yeah. archer and like a, they were all, they were all like basically skeleton yep. kind of undead, but like not real super skinny. I don't know. They were okay. really cool looking. So I'm looking forward to um, painting those. I'm going to be priming them eh, maybe tomorrow night and then they'll be ready for Friday morning. So um, okay. I'm, I'm going to be doing kind of the same technique um, that I did with those uh, Gloomhaven models where I'm going to do a Zenithal prime or a Zenithal highlight. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to use a spray. I'm going to use a big dry brush. So, um, uh-huh. which actually worked pretty well, you know, for people who don't either have 
both a black primer and a white primer or people who don't have an airbrush, being able to use that that big makeup brush, a big fluffy makeup brush actually worked out pretty well. So yeah, yeah, when I saw again. some of your Twitch lately with it, I was I was I've got one, but I've only kind mm-hmm. of used it a little bit on train. I hadn't used it on on any people yet, and I was shocked at how well it was working out. Yeah, I actually just uh, at literally this morning I ordered like four more from Amazon because I kind of don't want to go to Walmart right now. Um, so I just was like, oh, look, they're on Amazon. Cool. And so they should show up, I think, Friday or and, Saturday. And so. get them before like everybody at Gen Con suddenly now wants to buy makeup brushes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, they only there's a limit of three. You can only buy three of them. I was like, because I'm like, well, heck, I'll just buy like, I don't know, 10 of them because they're like they're like five yeah. bucks. And, and I, they would only let me buy three. So I was like, all right. So See, anyway. they're already they're already preparing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They know, um, but then otherwise, I've been also working just sort of on a a, a, a me project instead of um, stuff that I'm streaming. I'm painting a resin, um, like a 3D printed Yeti from Titanforge. They're a company okay. out of Poland, and they have a like a what do you call it a Patreon? And every month, like you pay them, I think it's like ten bucks, and then you get. Um, I don't know, something like 30 or 35 different STL files for 3D printing. Oh, wow. That's like yeah, one so, a day. Holy yeah. And it, so, yeah, it's basically, it's like, like I said, it's like 10 bucks. And a lot of companies are starting to do this now. A lot of groups who are, have been doing 3D sculpture, you know, in the computer are just mm-hmm. doing this now where they're like, we're going to do a Patreon and you pay eight to 10 bucks a month and you get access to everything. And then like a couple months later, we take all those files and we put them out either on our website or uh, there's a website called My Mini my mini factory or something like that where you can yeah. go and it's not like I thingiverse you, where stuff is free but you have to pay for right. it but then you can buy stuff a la carte later if you don't I want actually, to do the patreon i actually got a discount 10 percent discount had never been on that website before until mm-hmm. yesterday oh, wow, because okay. i got a i got a 10 percent uh coupon code with my resin printer and oh, it nice. runs out on the end of this month and i'm like oh i need to check this out i thought yeah, it was you should for resin or whatever and I, so i went and looked i'm like Oh, wow. Yeah, there were some spectacular models on there. Oh, yeah. They get some really, really nice stuff. And so uh, this this Yeti was really nice. It was just two pieces. I had my friend, this is before you had your resin printer, but I had my friend uh, Mac the Maker, who you also know. Uh, mm-hmm. He lives out in um, Arizona, Arizona now. And so yeah. I had him print it and then mail it to me and I paid him and stuff. And so it's a cool model. And I'm, uh, you know, I primed him white, obviously, because he's a Yeti. And now I'm doing some work to him and a little bit of dry brushing, kind of like your Owlbear and stuff like that. So just basically kind of doing it for fun. Um, and I don't know if I'll use them in a game particularly. Um, I don't can't think of a lot of games I play with Yetis, but you know something. It's just sort of a fun project. And then, um, yeah, st- actually, last night, Monday night, I streamed um, on Twitch because I've been doing it basically. My my normal standard these days is Friday morning and Monday after dinner, so like around seven p.m. And so last night I started streaming on a new project after those Necrons that I worked on for a long time. Um, those Necrons came in that new starter box from, from, uh, 40 K that, uh, came out when you were at, um, free RPG day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So now I am, um, painting, um, 13, uh, Skaven plague monks. Skaven are kind of like big giant rat people sort of, except, you know, they're small cause they're rats, but they're way bigger than regular rats, you know, and they're kind of bipedal and can carry swords. And so, uh, yeah, the Skaven plague monks, uh, I'm using those for, um, war cry, which is kind of like, Kill Team is to 40K, Warcry is to Age of Sigmar. So it's like the mm-hmm. fantasy kind of skirmishy sort of fun game that comes from uh, Games Workshop. And so, yeah, those uh, 13 Plague Monks are going to become a warband for that. And uh, I'll be painting on them the next... Well, uh, again, I won't be able to paint on them this weekend because I'm doing stuff for um, Gen Con Online, but I'll paint them next Monday and then going forward until they're finished. Um, but yeah, I got a good start on them last night, so... Very cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I watched. I think I watched quite a bit. I don't know mm-hmm. how late you were out, but I think right I around the time you're 10. like, oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, you said you were like, oh, it's already like nine thirty. I'm like, oh crap, it's nine thirty. I need to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been fun. I've been really enjoying the uh, streaming stuff. So it's been um, it's been going well. But yeah. yeah. Otherwise, uh, I've gone back into the mode where I don't really particularly clean the. Um, the basement as much as I ought to, but I'm trying to uh, get a little better at that. It's just that lately the weekends have been so crazy because of the last, well, the, this weekend and next weekend with um, doing stuff with the board game geek folks uh, for the different virtual conventions. That kind of takes a bunch of a time. Well, 
it takes a decent amount of time, but uh, I'm going to try this upcoming weekend also to do a little bit more down in the basement. So, uh, you know, moving things around and, and trying to, I don't know, just get rid of stuff. That's also helpful too. But yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. So we're talking today and it's kind of the opposite of trying to get rid of stuff. It's actually looking into right. new things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still, they're generally, in many situations, they're smaller, come in smaller boxes, if they even come in boxes at all. Um, right. But they're indie games. Now, it's interesting. When I first started searching for the term indie board games, as an example, uh, mm-hmm. the first thing that popped up was Settlers of Catan and, like, Ticket to Ride and stuff like that. Ooh. Which... If you're amongst the world of like us, you know, hobby gamers, those aren't indie because those are like some of the biggest right. in the industry. But Absolutely. if you're just a regular, for lack of a better ner- better word, uh, normie, uh, <laughs> indie games are you know are anything that's not like Monopoly. You know what I mean? Like or, or, or stuff like so that. Like, they've kind of taken like what used to be called like a Euro game and just kind of gave it that. At least in the articles that first popped up yeah, when I started doing sure. that Google search, I could, right? I could see that, yeah. From a again, from a mainstream perspective, yes, I would say that you know the games that we enjoy, the Euro games, and 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 you know the 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 things that aren't Monopoly, Life, Sorry, you know that kind of stuff, uh, right. Trouble. Those, yeah, these these are independent games to some degree because they're not made by Parker Brothers or Hasbro or whatever. Although some of them are technically owned by Hasbro, but. Um, but what we're talking about is the games that are not even made by companies like, you know, um, Asmodee or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. We're talking about in many situations, indie games are, you know, one person operations, maybe two person operations. Right. It's They're maybe- basically yeah, doing everything in house and for themselves, but a very, very, very small team if there's even a team. There's- yeah. And very frequently, it's maybe like a person who's kind of running the show and then some contractors like freelance, you know, um, illustrators, um, maybe somebody to help with um, rules design, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's those were indie games and they don't get a lot of marketing if they have any marketing at all. Um, a lot of them, although it's interesting, though, as we're as we're getting further and further into the game industry and we're getting more and more as we move along down you know, down the road of time in this day and age, it is becoming almost difficult sometimes to tell an indie game from a, a game sold by a big company because mm-hmm. of, of the technology that we have access to digital free color, digital full color printing and, you know, like Kickstarter and stuff like that. Like you can be a single right. person. And if you've got a good enough concept and a good enough idea, you could raise enough money on Kickstarter to pay for a whole bunch of artists and layout people and fancy plastics and all kinds of stuff like that. You know, absolutely, it, yeah. it can it can happen. And then that that end product, you can look at it, and it would be basically difficult to tell it apart from uh, something made by a whole team of folks. You know, absolutely, yeah. It's definitely becoming more uh, interspersed of mm-hmm. what it is and what it's not, and. Yeah, it's it's not a, a piece of paper that's been photocopied and put into a little Ziploc bag. Right, which is the stuff that I remember and sometimes reminisce about, frankly, a little bit. Like, I remember back in the days when Gen Con was still in Milwaukee, I remember going to the to the Game Science booth. You remember Game Science? The guy who makes the really super, super sharp dice. Uh, Have you been by that booth? It's an older, older gentleman named uh, Lou Zoki. And he uh, like he invented oh, the yes, hundred sided yes. die. Yes, his, yes, his, yes, the yes. dice that he sells are always super crazy sharp because he doesn't like normal polyhedral dice that we use in this industry. You know, your eight siders, your ten siders, your twelve siders, and all that stuff. They normally get tumbled in a machine, almost like a rock tumbler, and that's how they get mm-hmm. their rounded edges. But in doing that, they can become slightly uneven, which right, means they less can precise. Yeah, exactly. So they can be they could be technically slightly more favored to roll to one number versus another over thousands right. and thousands of rolls. Well, the RPGers, you know, there are dice that are just rolled bad. It's true. It's true. It's <laughs> totally true. But these, um, yeah, so these dice are always like, they're never tumbled. So they're very sharp. And um, anyway, he also used to sell uh, a role-playing game, a super simple role-playing game called Twerps that came like in a Ziploc bag and it mm. was like a black and white cover, but it had like usually colored cardstock. And then it was like a real small size. It was like, I don't know, 
five by seven, roughly size or something like that. And, um, in these bigger kind of Ziploc bags, I used to love buying them and like going through and stuff like that. So those types of indie games, like that's what I think of when I think of indie game, like these were probably, you know, back in the day they were made at Kinko's, you know, and then, and, and hand put together and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so yeah. And, and that's kind of where I cut my teeth to honestly, like when we, you know, the, when my friend Peter and I started a little mini kind of hobby game company while we were still in college and uh, snarling badger games and like our very first product we went to kinko's and cranked out 25 copies or something like that or 24 copies and took it to gen con to sell it to people there and uh you know it was again photocopied and all that kind of stuff but nowadays it's not only i mean the photocopying is not even necessary if you get into pdf stuff and then you can easily Mm -hmm. ship it basically for free because it's not shipped it's just like emailed or whatever to people all over the world when you're not even awake right. and it's just it's a very different time qr codes and yeah oh yeah no absolutely so it's really cool um you know and 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 because of this we've seen an explosion of indie games in all of the different genres uh, all four of what we what we you know consider the different genres um so yeah well why don't we talk a little bit about board games kind of to start um I don't know. Like, I think that indie board games, it's a, it's a fine line, kind of for the reasons that we said, because mm-hmm. you can have a game that looks just as good as a game made by a huge group in some situations, but it can be made by a much smaller group just because the technology is available and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, yeah. and, and I, yeah, I think almost all indie board games are like either are coming out of Kickstarter or, they're getting ready to go to Kickstarter. It seems like I don't know if there's many that are being sold, and there's like no Kickstarter uh, or some kind of you know uh, group uh, fundraising that's not you know in the plan. I th- yeah, I mean, for well, if it's a if it's a game where you're buying it directly and, and getting a copy like that, yes, I think you're right. There's pretty much nobody out there anymore who's just going to sit down and produce a thousand to 10,000 copies of a game that they made completely by themselves and got printed and like, cause you know, where are you going to get the money for that? And all that kind of stuff. Who knows right. if you're going to end up sitting with, with a garage full of it. So yeah, you're right. When people are going that direction, you're seeing a lot of it, but we're also seeing um, a, another good place to find indie board games that doesn't require that kind of work is um, stuff like where they're print on demand. So right. Right. like the game like crafter, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually also out of Wisconsin, like we are uh, down in the Southern part of the state, the game crafter is started out. I remember when they first started and like they could print in color on some stuff, but like their boxes still were like just black and white. It was like a black and white sticker that was mm-hmm. stuck to like, like a white corrugated box, like a clamshell style box. And, um, you know, they had X amount of different types of meeples and some different parts and stuff like that. And now, I mean, in many situations, games from the Game Crafter will look again nearly like regular product that you would buy at the game store because they'll have yeah. com- completely, you know, art wrapped boxes or tuck boxes. If it's a card game, the cards look printed, printed as opposed to say right. digitally printed. At this point, day and age, it's hard to tell the difference. I mean, look at like yeah. key, uh, a key, mm-hmm. what the heck's it? Keyforge? Like mm-hmm. those those cards have got to be digitally printed because they're all different, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's it's now the technology has become more uh, available to everybody. It's really the uh, skills of the team, and you know the work put into the team versus what is available. Yeah, you know, they don't need two million dollar machines to do that stuff. So yeah, it, does, it definitely helps out. And, and and then companies like the Game Crafter, you know, bring even more stuff to you know. Well, and the benefit there for the Game Crafter, well, for using the Game Crafter, in my opinion, is that. It is allowing you to, because it's print on demand, there's no upfront cost. You're not going to a manufacturer and getting a thousand or ten thousand of these things made. You're right. spending the not time to to do all that stuff. You're writing all the, you know, you're making all the the files and you're uploading all the artwork and you're doing all that stuff. And then if nobody ever buys one, you're not out any money, you know. Or if three right. people buy it, you're still not out any money. And the, and the thing that's interesting is you can find all kinds of crazy, interesting indie stuff on a, on something like the great game crafter but there's also games that have started at the game crafter that have then eventually gone into like the real world um i know for yeah, one uh, uh let's roll 
which is now being produced by or published by Calliope Games. That's a game mm-hmm. that I've played with my in-laws. Um, it's like a dice game and stuff like that. And that started at uh, Game Crafter. I think maybe The Captain is Dead might have started at Game Crafter. I'm not 100% yeah, sure did, on yeah, that. I'm did pretty it? sure that yeah. is. Yeah. So, yeah, as a, it's, if you're looking for board games these days, in my opinion, a good place to find indie board games is to take a look at The Game Crafter. And admittedly, mm-hmm. there is chaff there. There is a lot of stuff that you're just kind of like, nah, I don't know if this is my thing. But there's other things that are, can be very specific that might be exactly your thing. Right, um, exactly. They're, like you might, there might be 30 things that you don't care about, but there might be that there's because there's so many different ver- variety on themes or mechanics that. Oh yeah. You know, if you especially if you have something that you're like, oh, I really wish there was a game like X. You know, there's probably that X there already. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then another place that I found actually a bunch of information about a lot of smaller indie board games, um, mainly through interviews with the designers, is a uh, podcast called the uh, Indie Board Game Designers Podcast. And that's, they've got, I don't know, 140 some different episodes and they talk to a different oh, wow. person every every episode. And so, yeah, just kind of even going, scrolling back through the website and looking at like, you know, what did this person design? What did this person design? And mm-hmm. I've, I've actually found a bunch of interesting stuff that way. And there was one actually that I found that I was like, oh, that's very cool. And they did their stuff through um, uh, Game Crafter. And then after you, I did a little bit of Google research, it turns out they had started through Game Crafter, but now they were going through Atlas Games. So they had, again, gotten picked up by an actual, you know, full-blown publisher and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really, I think the game was called Breakdancing Meeples, I think is what it was called. But yeah, Atlas Games. So again, it's one of those situations where, you know, the indie stuff can kind of start getting picked up by the bigger, bigger publishers, but it still gives you that ability to be able to do that. It's almost like in music, you ever heard of Bandcamp? Yes. Yeah. So Bandcamp, like the website, like I feel a yep. little bit almost like Bandcamp is a little bit like um, a little bit like Game Crafter, you know what I mean? Or well, vice versa. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just very it. interesting to, to kind of, because there's a lot of weird stuff on Bandcamp too that maybe you're not interested in, but there might be the, the exact same thing that you're mm-hmm. really looking for that you can't find at, you know, Sam Goody. Is Sam Goody even around anymore? I don't even think that's a, do we have malls? I don't remember. Uh, if if there you, is a still Can you Sam go outside Goody's, anymore? I yeah, don't know. I don't know. It yeah. might be like Blockbuster. Like there's just one that's basically just a museum almost. <laughs> yeah, it could be that. But Get yeah, around, so like, folks. yeah, I mean like the, 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 the downside to some degrees, if you're into board games that have super high production values, Lots and lots and lots of fancy miniatures, like let's say Zombicide comes with a lot mm-hmm. of miniatures, or um, Scythe, or something like that. You're gonna not. The, it's harder to do that, obviously, for the the indie folks. But if you're looking for games that can be played with meeples and cubes, and and honestly, Game Crafter does have a lot of different things you can put in those boxes now. Um, so right. you know, and, yeah, if you're and keep adding more, more the things me- all the for time. For a mechanic, mechanic, and a general theme. That's yeah. kind of, yeah, you're not probably going to get, you know, 50 minis. But then again, you might, I mean, as 3D printers become more common, you're going to start yeah. getting, you know, where you can print on demand that stuff as well. So, I mean, yeah, I, and we'll talk a little bit about this when we get to talking about um, uh, war games. But I could see at some point somebody who makes a, a board game that, you know, sells it on, let's say, Game Crafter, and you buy, a, you know, the book and the board and a lot of the parts. And then they're also like, oh, also, if you have a resin printer or a friend with a resin printer, you can print these minis to replace these wood blocks to make them look fancier. And you can get that for free here, you know, or there's a QR code or whatever the deal is, so that you right. now get access to that as well. But if you don't, you've got something to, you know, maybe a chip, maybe you've got a token. It's like, hey, this is the token of the bad guy or whatever, then you can move around the board. But if you want to print one in 3D, we have one designed and you could grab that and then print that, and you know, whatever. So I, I think you're yeah. going to see more of that if that's mm-hmm. not already happening. I, I, I honestly think it would be weird if it wasn't already happening, but, you know, it's probably, if not, Absolutely. it's coming soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like the benefits, again, you know, there's really, uh, they're not safe for choices sometimes so you can really find interesting new mechanics and themes like we were talking about it's not just the stuff where they're looking at it from the aspect of like well what's going to sell you know what i mean right they're they're less concerned about the marketing it's more of somebody had an idea somebody had an itch and then they were creative and came up with that yeah Um, yeah but it but it can be like the poetry night at the you know the coffee shop you know 
there there might be a right. lot of rough gems out there. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yes, that's a good. And then, like, what kind of drawbacks do you see for indie board games generally? I mean, well, you're you've got, you know, usually it's one person doing everything, so they might have like, you know, they're really good at math or or you know, uh, game uh, theory. So like the balance is spot on, but you know, maybe the theme is really, really lacking, or they're sure. you know they're a great artist or they're they're not a great artist and they can't find anyone to, to draw so usually you'll find it where like it really excels at maybe the one area that they're good at um you know maybe there's even a few areas but you usually don't see kind of the across the um the entire uh game as you yeah know, being fully no, that, polished and yeah that's a good point there's very few people that i can think of who are really just like a, a one person you know forced to be reckoned with there's somebody usually who's like oh i'm i'm good at this but I'm not good at the layout or I'm not good at the art, or maybe I'm good at art and layout, but I'm kind of terrible at game design and everything comes across a little unbalanced or whatever, but the concept was very cool, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, that's why generally if you can, uh, you know, as the team kind of grows a little bit, you kind of start to cover all those bases, but then as the team grows, it becomes a little bit less indie in a lot of situations Absolutely. too. So, yeah. Um, and like what other kind of, I mean, like the other drawbacks as far as like board games and stuff. Like, uh, you're probably, you know, it's probably not going to have, you know, expansions and, and, you know, it might, you know, it might not be around forever. Uh, yeah. Know, the person might pull it off. So, you know, there might be a game that you really enjoyed and, you know, something happens to it and there's no way to replace it, you know. Sure. No, that's true, too. I mean, and like, again, like I said, sometimes the the game, if it's really good and you got it from, say, somebody online and then some other company, like becomes the publisher you're probably not gonna be able to get that game online it the original version anymore you can only get the publisher version you know what i mean which mm-hmm. can frequently cost more um or you know it, it uh, many times it's a benefit let's not say that publishers are bad many times that they come along oh, and have resources it's, to throw at it but sometimes it's if like you're having like, edi- it's like having editors you know for authors too i mean you can yeah, read yeah, stuff absolutely. that people post directly but some you know sometimes there's a benefit to that polish and you know second set of mm-hmm. eyes and the market, you know, knowing, you know, that stuff. But then again, you, again, sometimes a publisher, you know, publishers won't publish stuff. They don't think has a, you know, a market to sell. Exactly. To, so you don't get some yeah. of this stuff. No, that's, that's very true. Yeah. So what about indie RPGs? Like we around the game for ranch kind of refer to there's, there are four separate different types of genres within tabletop right. gaming. You've got mm-hmm. your board games, you've got your, uh, RPGs, you've got your CCGs, your collectible card games, and then of course your war games slash miniatures and whatnot. And so after, you know, we've talked about indie board games, but indie RPGs, I think, and you probably are going to back me up on this a bit to, to a degree. I think that they have even more potential for indiness just because. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't need as much yeah. stuff. Right. You're not designing a board game and possibly miniatures or pieces and all that and stuff. A box. Right. It's generally yeah. just a PDF with rules and it's everybody's imagination. So, Or, or maybe a book. I mean, you might do a, an actual book or, or even right. just a print-on-demand book, but it can be done literally with a PDF in many situations. A lot of RPG folks are playing off of PDFs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's, you know, and then, you know, it's almost like uh, fan fiction for some stuff. Like if you're even doing it inside other worlds, like if you're doing it in kind of like a like a D&D 5E rules, you don't have to, you know, you could still build your own universe using le- that rule set. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's compatibility stickers and, and stuff that you can just basically throw on your thing and everyone knows that, oh, I don't have to learn new rule sets, but here's a new way to play this game. Yeah. Right. Well, and there are even like people it, who are making like modules that are not well, not module. Module gets into into D and D quite a bit, but they're making source books, which are basically just a lot of information for the GM to be able to take and to put into any system that they're already using. Absolutely. You know yeah. I mean? And they could do yeah. everything. They could be like, oh, I, you know, like I, I really like King Arthur, and I want to mm-hmm. build a thing all around that. Um, but I don't want to have to come up with, you know how everybody's going to fight and stuff, fight mechanics right. and everything. So I'm just going to use that all this, but then give you all of the uh, rules of that setting of, you know, what magic is allowed, what magic is not, or, you know, and, and like the source books, creatures. 
the source books aren't going to have like the perfect stats for the system necessarily that you are using as the DM, but you can just be like, okay, well, this creature is kind of like this creature from this system. So I'll just say it's basically, or you can tweak it a little bit. I mean, that's the whole thing that's great about tabletop games is the customization. But yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are doing that. And there are also people out there who are, I mean, I, I know that D&D used to have a license thing where you used to be able to like make stuff for I know it was more for like what they called a D20 system back in the day and you mm-hmm. could like legally make and sell products for the D20 system. I don't know if that still goes on in 5th edition. Do you know if that's still a thing? Um I mean I know that people do it on like uh drive through RPG um mm-hmm. and DM's Guild uh and it's got some of the artwork from Wizards there um so that the covers kind of look compatible and everything. So I'm assuming Based on there just what I know about licensing, yeah, with how you know adamant IP is nowadays, intellectual property, yeah. I would imagine there's got to be something kind of going on there that you know, some kind of rule of what you can you're allowed to use and not you know not use. So. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so I mean, and there are like so the the issue I guess is like that there are there are a lot of them out there and they can be, again, something just as, as simple as a source book that you use with whatever mechanics that you're already using. They can be add-ons to uh, systems that you're already using. And they mm-hmm. can also be completely full-blown systems all the way from small kind of one-time play sort of like, you know, like like it's not like a full, it's not a campaign. It's like a one-time session where you play like right. one night all the way right, up yeah. to big sessions that you play for a long time. Like you're playing, are you guys still playing Lancer? Um, we have not played in a little while. I would say ever since COVID hit, but mm-hmm. yeah, that, I mean, that's that one. Uh, I, you know, it's almost outside. It's almost grown out of the indie label. I would say at this point now. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, that's a great one uh, for that board. It's super immersive. I mean, they have mm-hmm. their own tool system and everything for that now. Yeah, um, yeah, but then you've got you know like something like Honey Heist, where you know you're playing a bear, and you know it's just a quick one little thing. It's kind of meant to be fun, and you know not very serious. Like a one um, shot is what they call those frequently. Yeah, and then yeah. like uh, you know, then I've got one you know that I've been uh, that's that's uh, still kind of in early rules stages, a dark era RPG that I like. Um, mm-hmm. That one's kind of got uh, like a X Files type feel to it, where basically like oh, yeah. uh, you, yep. like aliens are real. There's there's definitely hidden and dark conspiracies in the government. Um, and then there's the clueless individuals where stuff is going around them. Um, and what I really like about what they're doing is that it's, they've kind of got like three ages that you can play in. So you've got like a, like a, you know, a 50s, 60s era that you can kind of do like a nostalgic, like Area 51. And, and you know, everybody's driving classic cars and, and sure. you know, everyone, you know, the agents are all dressed in, you know, to the nines in suits working for Hoover. Um, or you can do like one that's kind of, you know, takes place now, uh, you know, now, you know, kind of modern. Um, and then I believe the, there's also kind of a future with one, I think, at that point, it might become more general knowledge that aliens are are there, and it might be more you're kind of fighting against it more actively. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of got the different errors, which I think are really kind of cool. That because you can, you know, there's some, it's for there. It's really giving a, the uh, the game master a kind of freedom to do a lot of stuff. Like maybe you start a campaign, and then their children take on the crusade. You know. But maybe they don't realize that that's their children when they first start out. You know, kind of like oh, yeah, yeah. found out about all of his stuff that his dad had done. You know, and been involved right. with. Yeah, and you yeah. can kind of do like a generational thing, or you know, you could do maybe where they're hopping through time or something. I don't know. No, oh, that'd be very cool. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and so like, there's like, I think with RPGs, honestly, RPGs of the four genres, RPGs, I think, might be the easiest to get into if you're interested in getting into indie games. And by easiest, I mean both from the developer standpoint, like if you wanted to start Mm -hmm. making indie RPGs, I think that's that if you want to start making indie games, indie RPGs might be the easier ones to make um, to some degree. And also uh, as a person, it's very simple to maybe even, you know, 
you, sometimes you find add-ons and indie stuff that's free. Sometimes it's maybe, you know, um, uh, relatively inexpensive. And again, because a lot of times it's also PDFs, it's not like you've got to store, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of books. It's, you can just kind of, you know, I've got an PDF iPad that's or, full of all kinds of stuff like that. And right. Or even like any more like, than it did before. So. Yeah, I, like I've been using drive through, so I don't even have to keep everything on my computer. I can just download what I want. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, and leave stuff up there that I'm not using. Um, yeah. Like uh, I'm also on like if you do some newsletters, like uh, I believe DMs Guild is the one. Like every it used to be Mondays, but I think it's shifted now to Tuesdays. I get like a free supplement every week of something that they're promoting. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know they still ask for you to kind of you know if you do end up liking it to go back and pay for it, but sure. you know and but there's stuff that i'm like oh well i wouldn't probably have checked this out but yeah i'll try that out i'll see what that is and you know so there's even like the free to try um stuff on there and yeah and so drive through rpg is probably one of the biggest like online um sellers of indie rpgs and things like that i'm assuming mm-hmm. i don't is there anybody that you can think of that's that's more well known or anything along those lines? Probably not more well known, um, but I mean it's it's definitely becoming more popular. I mean, free free RPG day um, this year they actually had a booklet that was just filled with I think there uh, I lost count, but I think there was like fifteen different RPGs in that mm-hmm. single book. Um, so I mean it's it seems like you can find them everywhere now. Um, sure, yeah, that's true. But yeah, and, so and, like. Yeah, and Drive Through RPG I mean, like is honey, honey ice is free, and you can just mm-hmm. download that. Yeah, but they're generally PDF, but sometimes they are even formatted so that if you wanted to, you could get them print on demand. Like RP- Drive Through RPG does that as well, because some people prefer yep. just a physical book. And you're going to get, I think, a soft cover. I don't know if Drive Through RPG does hard covers or not. I believe they do hard covers now. I'm, I'm almost positive okay, nice. on that. Yeah. yeah. And maybe so, yeah. it's like a certain level you have to do for that, but I want to say that there's even hardcovers. Because hmm. I know that like it's partially dependent upon the person who's putting up the files because the files have to be slightly different when they're going into a book versus just a regular PDF. And so I think that it, you know you've got some companies out there, some groups, some 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 persons you know who are just you know again one person bands who are just like I'm just going to put it up as a PDF. People can buy it for cheap, and I'll make a little bit of money, and it'll be great. And then there's other people who are maybe a little bit either more serious or they just have more skills in layout and design and stuff like that, and they can put up both, and then you know kind of reap those benefits as well. But yeah, it's it's not just oh I'm just going to get a bunch of PDFs. You can also get a lot of these in many situations also in some sort of print version if that's what you're really into, which I think mm-hmm. is very Absolutely. cool for um for those types of things. Um like yeah, what kind absolutely. of drawback is there for uh for for uh you know indie RPGs, you think? Um usually you're going to have a hard time like you're not going to be able to like walk into a game store and just be like throw down on the table like okay, we're playing this. Um, sure. So th- your community is definitely smaller, or you're you know you're probably gonna have to explain the rules uh, to everybody you play with, um, you know yourself. So you're really gonna have to be that ambassador if you want to play those games. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know with RPGs you usually don't play solo. Um, so you know you are gonna be you know having to teach more people that, and you know. Um, and try to get people to want to do that. Um, also, you're you're probably going to have less online tool support. Um, you know, like a lot of the big ones, Pathfinder, D and D. You know, you're starting to get um, the you know like uh, character sheets are built online. You know, your character generation, character tracking, um, modules, maps, uh, fights, uh, roll, sure. dice rolling, all that stuff is you know becoming more and more. Uh, accessible uh so you're going to kind of lose some of that stuff which you know might be a little bit harder uh, especially right now when you know a lot of us are still kind of locked in um yeah <laughs> certainly yeah yeah that's true too i suppose i mean i you know there's always probably a discord server somewhere even for nearly any kind of indie style rpg where people might get together and play um, because Discord servers can be basically free, and it's just kind of a you know again we've got a bunch of tools now that make it a lot easier. So, so that's very cool. But yeah, you're right. You're not going to see like a D and D Beyond type type thing, you know, for every game that's out there. You're only going to see it for some of the biggest. So right. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. As far as like indie war games um, and miniatures and things like that, uh, again, you're looking at a lot of like one person, two person sort of operations. Um, uh, but there are still, there's a, there's a decent amount out there for, to choose from. And um, I would say that like one of the best places to go look is uh, wargamevault.com, which is actually part of DriveThruRPG. It's basically the same company. It's just that they also have a version that is not RPG based. It's more aiming towards like wargaming and stuff like that. Um, but again, it's all, it's the same kind of deal. Some of them are PDF only. Some of them can also be bought as print on demand and all that stuff. So you can actually get a physical book. Um, and a lot of them are just like all indie games. A lot of them, they don't have the greatest artwork. They don't have like super fancy, you know, or, you know, art and layout, like let's say a games workshop style game does. Um, but the thing I think that's kind of cool too, is that I don't know. There's just a lot of different options and a lot of different things you can choose from. Um, lately, my two favorites uh, for indie miniature games, you know, indie war games are uh, mm-hmm. something called Planet 28 by a guy named Nick Evans over in the UK. And then um, Star Breach, which is um, by uh, Elijah Kellogg, uh, uh, who is based out of the US. And so like Star Breach, you can go to the Star Breach website and download the rules for free if you want the kind of slightly more expanded or fancier rules with like more artwork and some more scenarios and stuff like that then you pay i think it's maybe 10 bucks and then there's also a book you can buy like an actual like you know soft cover type book um planet 28 okay. is um planet 28 is super cheap uh you get it through war game downloads and it's a pdf um but you can also buy a tiny little book um, from the actual uh, designer who will then ship it to you from the UK. It's like 16 pages and it's like a five by seven little booklet. It's not even, you know, like it's not like a full size book, but it's a real small little thing. Um, but it's just sort of nice to have, you don't, you know, I, I generally work off of the PDF, but both of those games I like because they're small skirmish sci-fi. Uh, they've just got some sort of charm to them. They've got some mechanics, some game mechanics that I really like. And for mm. me personally, the thing that I've been getting into lately is also a lot of kit bashing. Which, right, which is like basically taking models and kind of like taking this guy, taking the head from this thing and putting it on this guy, and you know, giving this guy a different gun or giving this person a different whatever robot arm, and and it's sure. yeah, you're just putting these models together in ways that they're not supposed to normally be done, and that that way because none of the the, the thing about these games in almost every situation is they don't have a model line, they don't okay. have you know what I mean. Like, That's what I was wondering. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you're like you know playing. Warhammer 40,000 or Age of Sigmar from Games Workshop, you generally play with the models that they sell. You don't have to, but if you're going to start playing competitively and going to tournaments, you do have right. to. You have to be using their models. But when you Even and your like friends the base are playing, sizes are, are, are sometimes... In many situations, yeah, yeah this, certain base sizes, you know, for the models, they, you know, this model is supposed to have a base of this size and things like that and whatever. But with uh, games like basically a lot of other indie games, generally they don't... Not all of them. So actually, some of them do, but it's pretty rare. Most situations, they're more what along the lines of something known as miniatures agnostic. So just use whatever models you like. I mean, Star Breach, if you look at the different armies in the back of the book for Star Breach that you can choose from, um, you start reading some of the army lists, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, these are supposed to be Imperial Guard from 40K. And they don't call them Imperial Guard, but if you sure. know Imperial Guard, you're reading it. And what that's doing is it's saying, hey, if you've got Imperial Guard models, you can just use them in this thing. But then they've also got, got like another one where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, these are basically stormtroopers and 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 Sith and stuff like that. And I, I get that. So if you're using those models, you could use that. But there's also armies in the back of the book that are like just generic space pirates or, you know, rebels and stuff like that. So they don't have like a uh, a direct correlation to some other company's stuff. So you can you, okay. you get a lot of choices, which is nice. Now, do you have to worry about like scale on all of those or just some of them or? In general, most of the games are aimed towards the more 28 millimeter kind of standard scale, which is the same as like games like, you know, Age of Sigmar, Warhammer 40,000, Malifaux, stuff like that. But okay. um, you can... The thing that's interesting is about the, those games too is that, that some of them will also be like, but if you're interested in playing in 15 millimeter scale, which is also a relatively, it's not nearly as well known as 28 millimeter scale. That's more for like historicals, like 15, I think. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are some people who do like 15 millimeter because they're just smaller and easier to store and cheaper to buy and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and the, the terrain, everything gets scaled down. Then the terrain gets scaled down. You're playing on a smaller table, all that jazz. Um, sure. And then what they tell you to do is just generally translate all of the uh, inch measurements into uh, centimeters. And then that's just their, your 
quick and easy uh oh just okay yeah split you know because so yeah um so that's not a bad idea either. Um, again, like the benefits are like, again, these these types of games are generally cheaper because you're usually either printing your own or you're working from a PDF. Sometimes they do have print on demand versions if you want to go that way. Um, again, like I said, they're, you know, they're, it's nice. I really like the fact that I can play with the models that I want to play because there's plenty of models sometimes I look at and I'm like, I love those models, but I don't like the game they're attached to or I don't like yeah. the army, you know, or whatever, but I like those models. So now you've got a reason to buy those models, build them and do cool stuff with them and play them in different games, right. which I think yeah, is a like, lot of fun. Yeah, being at conventions, like I'm like, oh, Malifo is really, has some really cool models I'd love to paint up, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure I really want to play Malifo. Not, nothing wrong with Malifo. I just sure, yeah, yeah. not sure I want to deep dive into that, but yeah, it'd be cool to be able to kind of throw them into something and. And there's times when you're like, this is maybe even a cool game potentially, but I don't know where it plays it. So it's kind of a hard thing, but I do really love like, like, yeah, I, I, I the last Malifaux model I bought, I bought just cause it was super cool and I'm going to use it for something eventually, but I'm not going to use it for probably for Malifaux just because I don't like there's, I can't think of another Malifaux player around here. I have played in the past, but I haven't played in a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, just being able to buy a model and say, I'm going to use it in a different cool game. Like some indie games is a lot of fun. Um, plus there's a lot of times that these indie games go in many different directions uh, mechanics wise it's not the same kind of like we're just gonna you know like you know obviously warhammer 40,000 is like the biggest game out there within the the miniatures realm but the the way that you activate like you know it's my turn so i go and do everything all my guys and then it's your turn and then you like there are other games out there that are finding different ways to activate where like i move one guy and then you move one guy and then i move one you know or maybe you reach your hand into a bag full of dice and you pull one out it's the blue one which means that it's my turn and then you reach in it again pull out a blue one and that means i get to do another yeah. guy and then you reach in again and then you pull a red one which means it's yours and so that kind of random activation there, they, absolutely yeah there's more really like that yeah, and there's more like um, I don't know risks I guess that you can take when you're deciding to make something indie and you don't have you know right a whole well, huge and I think teams you, you know and you also don't have you know you don't have a huge lore and backlog I mean like Warhammer they could easily go like oh yeah that's a great mechanic but if we introduce that in our next edition we're gonna you know turn away half of our base because they're not you're exactly used to right game and that's, working that way. That's one of the drawbacks to some degree of indie games. Well, that's not. If you okay, one of the drawbacks to indie games is they don't frequently have the amount of lore and story that the bigger, more established uh, miniature games have. Like speaking of like Warhammer Forty Thousand and stuff like that. Like that Games Workshop has their own publishing company on the side called Black Library that just makes novels about like Warhammer Forty Thousand and stuff, and they have right. hundreds of novels. So there is an incredible amount of stuff. If you just like, if you didn't even want to play or build or paint anything for 40 K, you could just be interested in reading the books and, and learning about the, right. the history and, and the lore. They have an RPG stories. now too. And yep. Yep. They do. And so there's a lot out there, you know, in those types of games, indie games rarely do that. Very frequently. Indie games are pretty light on story and lore. Not all of them, but many of them are a little bit more concerned with the mechanics Right, it's um, just like a simple premise, and then they kind of go from there. Yeah, to some degree, which is fine. Like, I honestly, I'm not huge into lore. Like, I like stories in certain situations related to games, but there's other times where I'm just like, yeah, but I want to make up my own story. You know what I mean? So right. um, I, I kind of like that aspect, there's a too, difference. from... Yeah, yeah. when yeah. I was standing outside the uh, store waiting to get in and then listening to a couple of the guys talking about 40K, and like, what oh, almost just... Trying- yeah, he wanted to get into a, uh, there was a certain type of Marines. Uh, I, I I apologize. I don't know these well enough. The Salamanders, sure. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And There's he a went chapter the, of Space Marines. Right. So then, but he uh, had written, you know, read a thing about the other ones. He liked some of their stories better. So then he's like, oh, well, now I'm going to have to repaint them and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, why? Why? Uh, you know, like, I get it because, you know, the colors and the chapter markings and stuff like yeah, that. But yeah. it's, it's at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, he doesn't get to play the game the exact way he wants because people will be like, actually, that's not how that happened or that yeah, person I doesn't mean, do this. That's why, like, specifically in 40K, not to get too far off, but that's why a lot of people will do custom chapters where they'll just decide, well, I'm going to make this chapter. And you can do that. 
Um, you know, and then sometimes you decide, well, this custom chapter is a successor chapter to the salamanders. So therefore you get to use the salamander rules, but you don't have to paint them green and all that stuff. You know, you can do, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different like ways you can get around that. But if you've picked like a well-known chapter and then you want to use the rules from some other chapter, you will get people who will be like, well, actually a lot as it turns out in certain, you know, especially when there's so much lore and there's so much background. So Mm -hmm. again, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a downside if you really love the lore, but it's an upside if you don't care as much about the lore, you know, as far as definitely a double-edged sword there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, production quality is also very frequently in these games, you know, like when you're getting a book, um, very frequently there's not as much there's never as much nice artwork as there is in let's say the big you know the big guys um and it's you know sometimes it's hard covers but not always like my my star breach book is hardcover and it's got some decent artwork in it but it's not you know not it's you know they spend a lot of money at the big companies to to pay a lot of really good artists to do stuff and it's harder for indies to do that so as long as that mm-hmm. doesn't bother you too much it's okay um and then also like you said earlier too with the rpgs it's also very it can be uh, a lot harder to find other players. So um, with an RPG, I feel like you can be like, hey, are you interested in playing this? And they're like, well, I've never played it before. And you're like, okay, cool. We'll sit down and we'll play it. It's a little harder to do that sometimes, I think, with miniatures. Um, If you're playing a skirmish-style game where the the armies are relatively small, like in Planet 28, like generally a warband is three to four miniatures. Like it's very small. Okay, so yeah, you could easily have enough that you can provide, but... Exactly. So you could make two warbands, one for me and one for you, and then go into the game shop and be like, hey, you want to learn how to play this game? I've got everything that you need, and mm-hmm. then we'll just play. Whereas if you're trying to teach somebody how to play a big army game where you need a hundred models per side, most people don't want to lug around two armies that size. So, yeah. I don't even want to um, look around one. <laughs> right. No, same here. Same here generally these days. Yeah. And then uh, the last category uh, of tabletop game is collectible uh, card games. And honestly, I haven't been able to find much in the way of actual indie yeah, collectible card games. And I think I figured, that that's partially oh, yeah. just because of the, the the way that collectible card games have to be done. Like, Mm, and again, there are plenty of indie card games out there, um, you know, which we're kind of lumping a little, if it's not collectible, then we kind of, I personally lump it into more board gaming. It's kind of board and cards. Yeah. But for collectible card games, meaning you're opening up a pack and getting random cards and you don't know what you're going to get and all that stuff like that in and of itself is such a resource intensive sort of situation that it's not something you see indie folks do too much, except online. There, when I when I started doing typing in indie CC, CCGs into Google and stuff like that, as we started doing research for this episode, everything I found mm-hmm. was a game on Steam. So for it was a PC game, so like kind okay, of like Hearthstone, sure. kind of like Ascension, like all those different games. There are plenty of indie companies out there who are making collectible card games, but they're all digital, which makes sense a little bit because it's way probably less like to to do what like Magic and Yu Gi Oh and Pokemon do. You know, printing hundreds of millions of cards a year and, you know, packaging them into separate packages and the randomness and the rarity and all that stuff. That's a huge undertaking, which is why I think you don't see it amongst your indie folks right there. Um, Other than, like I said, digitally, then it's a totally different story. I yeah, used to be kind of weird to like give your just your friends have the ultra rare ones, so you always right. win. Yeah. <laughs> I always I made this joke years ago back when my friend Peter and I had our little kind of indie game company of ourselves, and we would do these games and stuff. Um, I was always saying we're going to start our own CCG, and it's going to be great. It's uh, there's going to be um, there's only two cards in the set, and uh, and one of them is really 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 rare. So you just keep buying decks and just be like, oh, I got just all, all, all duplicates this time because it would literally just be the same card over and over again. Um, that'd be a way to make money, maybe. But eventually people would figure it out. After a couple of booster cases, I think they might figure it out. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just So that's just something to know if you're, if you're interested in indie games and you're also interested in CCGs, you're going to have to go probably on the PC because it doesn't seem like they're... And if you folks have got an indie CCG out there, um, that you know about, please feel free to leave it in the comments below. We weren't yeah, able to find really anything. No, and honestly, if you've got any indie games that you like on uh, for the other you know uh, genres we've talked about above, war games, board games, RPGs, um, 
you know, if we didn't talk about it here, definitely post it in the comments on YouTube Absolutely. because that, that's really, it just helps other people find out about other cool games that you might like, because that's the thing about indies. That's probably one of the biggest things about indies is that they are, they don't have the marketing budget. That's almost by definition, if you're an indie game company, you just kind of don't have a marketing budget or you have very little. Now, we live in a time, obviously, where you can make podcasts for nearly for free. You can tweet, you can Instagram, you can Facebook for basically just about no money. And so, uh, you know, you need a computer, which costs some money or whatever, or maybe a phone. But, you know, otherwise, uh, there is there are marketing avenues for these these indie folks now that there weren't, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so that is also helpful if you're interested in indies, but you still, there's so much that it's, it's sometimes hard to find it amongst all the noise. So absolutely. But, but yeah, so indie RPGs, indie board games, indie miniatures, uh, I think that they're all really cool. Indie CCGs, we're not really seeing much, but I do enjoy the indie stuff to some degree, just because it's, it's, I still enjoy some mainstream stuff, obviously mm-hmm. too. You know, I like some D and D, like some forty well, K. Always, I, I always get a thrill of finding something new that you know maybe nobody has heard of. It's like you know, it's yeah. like that that bit, one band that you heard at a bar one place that none of your friends have heard about, but you know that they exactly. would like it, and so you get to yep. be the one that brings it to everybody. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like it, I was, I was, you know, it's the same. It's very much like music in that you know you would, and I've said this before when you start out very frequently as becoming you know a fan of music you have a tendency to listen to the more mainstream stuff and then eventually you start finding more indie stuff and it's the same way i think with games is that you start mm-hmm. out with the more mainstream things and then you eventually start to branch out and go into things that become indie and then sometimes those indie things become popular and then it becomes mainstream and whatever but then you know it's it's just kind of the, the circle of life as it were yes Alrighty. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Game 4 Podcast. If you've got questions or comments and you're watching on YouTube, please leave a comment below. If you are listening via your favorite podcast player or you just aren't into the whole YouTube comment selection thing, or sorry, comment section thing, then you can feel free to reach out to us via email at podcast at imgame4.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website at www.imgame4.com. That is www.iamgamefor.com. Thanks. Thanks.